Man, Elon Musk is all over the news, all over my news feed. He cracked the algorithm. Remember that thing he said? He who controls the memes controls the universe? Yes. I think it was a tweet. I don't yeah. remember. Anyway, well, he's certainly controlling my news feed today. He has become the world's richest person, surpassing Jeff Bezos. His fortune has soared by more than $150 billion in the past year. Now, the reason... Like, that's crazy. You may not follow these figures, but he wasn't even in the running. It wasn't, he was down the list, like, I don't know, 10 or something forever. And then in this last year, just Tesla's incredible climb has resulted because he's got so much uh, control over the company, so much stock in the company. It has had such a tremendous impact on his personal wealth the success of the Tesla stock just booming. Look at look at that. 8 810.75 USD time of filming this. It seems like it's uh Tesla and Bitcoin uh, unstoppable. They go they go together. Uh-huh. What would you rather have right now? Well, if you had $10,000 to invest, would you rather have Bitcoin or Tesla? Bitcoin for short and Tesla for long. Look at you. Mhm. Mm Willie business. He's talking short long <laughs> oh, nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so it is important to note Bezos, who held the spot since October 2017, he had that uh, high-profile divorce, which resulted in some of his personal wealth uh, being being split and his wife taking that. She took a tremendous amount of uh, stock in the company as well, part of the deal. they Their divorce took place in Washington State. And there's a lot of rules around how those, how the assets are split up. Yes. And so she ended up with tremendous amount of assets herself, becoming like the world's richest woman. Mm -hmm. Instantly. <laughs> Instantly. Just rocketed up. Or, or, or very close to it. So had that not happened, then Musk would still be tra trailing Bezos by a fair, uh, fairly large margin. The number right now is around 190 billion as of today, which is just ahead of. Bezos, but that showcases to you how crazy the 150 billion in net worth in one year is, because the total figures, not even one, right around 190. Yes. So you see what's happening here, Will. That's there's only that means he was only sitting at 40 billion prior to that. Uh huh. I mean, only 40 billion. Is but there an Elon Musk stock? Yeah, you just that's you know, what you need to invest. Just invest in. into him. Just invest directly in there. Tesla's share price is. Uh, has surged 743% on the back of consistent profits and the ability to keep selling automobiles when pretty much the whole sector was down in 2020, as we covered on a recent episode. As far as uh, Bezos is concerned, he ceded a quarter of his Amazon stake to his ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott. Mm. And then he also is doing some philanthropy. He donated around $680 million in November, so... That gave, uh, that created a little space there for Musk to catch up. But you talk about 150 billion in one year, Will. What happens next year and the year after? This is why you want to bet on Elon. I can tell uh, that you, that's where, why you want to make that investment over there. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. I don't know if it can continue. One thing to note: I'm not to be a downer here on your on your potential investment. Yeah. The other automakers are starting to take electric pretty seriously right uh -huh. now. I yeah. got another story coming up really soon here about how seriously and so 
maybe it's not maybe it's not golden forever. I just have to put that piece out there. Yeah, it's I quite possible. I'm not saying I'm making the bet against Tesla. I'm just saying. Uh, sticking with Elon Musk since he took over my feed, he tweeted out use signal, trying to tell people essentially to uh, bail on WhatsApp. This story, many people sent this to me, Will. Many people are concerned, and they're big-time WhatsApp users. A lot of our audience using WhatsApp. Well, there's a new terms of service, which appears to stipulate that your communications, personal information are going to be transmitted to Facebook. And you have a choice to opt in, and that's it. That's your choice. Opt oh, okay. in, or you're done. Yeah. You can opt in or you can say goodbye to the application forever. And so for those that are, because the app will just stop working without you mm -hmm. accepting this. So for those that are uh, not happy with those new terms, they're looking for alternatives right now. And it's no surprise that e Elon is trying to encourage people to move over to other platforms. He's had his public beef with Zuckerberg over a variety of who knows what, but he has publicly stated that Facebook is lame. He does not use Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he has also, to a certain extent, blamed Facebook for what happened at the Capitol building. He, he published a meme talking about the domino effect. And I guess that's coming in my next story. So why, okay. don't we head, why don't we just head right over to it? The domino effect, meaning that Facebook's origin story as a website to rate women on campus has somehow led to the state of the capital as of yesterday. And I don't know if you can find the meme if you scroll down. The meme does a better effect. After all, that's the purpose of these memes. This is called the domino effect. So from one end on the small little domino, which is about to tumble much larger ones, uh -huh. a website to rate women on campus. And then on the other side, the capital seems to be under the control of a man in a Viking hat. <laughs> Which is true. That actually did happen yesterday. Yeah. 300,000 likes on this particular tweet. So no surprise, once again, Elon Musk, not the biggest fan of Zuckerberg or Facebook, and is in some kind of roundabout way sort of blaming Facebook for what happened at the Capitol. I don't know if they can take all the blame. As a reaction, it seems like Zuckerberg is taking some pretty a pretty strong stance against Trump by essentially banning him from the platform. Advertisers are also making adjustments based on what took place yesterday. Advertisers have pulled commercials around news coverage of the attempted coup at U.S. Capitol. I don't know if it's officially a coup. I guess anything involving the storming of a government building could be could be somewhat classified as such. Okay. Uh, the The reason that this is interesting to us is because obviously we produce content, we talk about subjects, and we uh, survive based on ad revenue in one form or another. And we've seen this happen in the past where you will have some unsavory... Uh, political situation or violent situation or, uh, well, even COVID when it first, just, just crisis, let's say. Mm -hmm. A cr crisis is usually not great for those of us that rely on ad revenue because advertisers get nervous and they say, we don't want to be associated with just the general sentiment of things going on right now. Mm -hmm. And so 
this was this is crazy. I actually found in this article there was a period of time there where uh, Fox News stopped airing commercials altogether at 1.30 p.m. yesterday. Oh. So everybody just put them on pause. They said, we don't want to be a part of it. Now, some of the uh, experts and some of the salespeople and some of the, some of the uh, various advertising executives have said, no, 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 no. It's okay. You could be attached to the crisis stuff. Don't bail. But it hasn't worked. Advertisers are just really sensitive about this. And I understand it because you think about the sentiment of buying a product or service. You want to be in a kind of good mood, man. You don't want to have these subconscious associations between some crisis that you're seeing and the terror associated with it mm -hmm. and the product or service. Those companies never want that association to exist in your mind, even if it's subconscious. So I get where they're coming from. I don't know if it's going to imp impact us in any way, but the source here as part of this Business Insider article is seeming to indicate that this is this pause button for the next 48 hours, maybe longer, is likely not just to affect the linear programming on cable television, but also social media and also mm. places like YouTube where we happen to be at the moment recording this and publishing this. So we'll see how long it goes on for, but I kind of get it and it's an, uh, a consequence and an outcome that many might not imagine takes place at first glance. They see this stuff happening in public. I'm not saying it's the most important thing either. You're probably not thinking of buying things if you believe there's a crisis taking place. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it goes hand in hand. That's important to note. Like I'm not saying it's bigger than the thing, but it is just this kind of collateral downstream, one more version of Elon's domino effect. Twitter has stepped up and uh, locked Trump's account stating that he's also facing a ban, severe policy violations. I mentioned earlier, Zuckerberg put a statement himself, of, obviously on Facebook, saying, look, we, 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 we let Trump say whatever he wanted in the past, maybe not whatever he wanted, but everything that he has said in the past was somewhat uh, uh, allowed because of the special circumstance, him being the president, public official, there's different rules. And... Actually, Twitter has different rules, too, where they were letting certain things come through because of the, the stature of the individual tweeting those things. There was the famous one right around the, the, the rioting time. I think he said, loot, loot. Once everything. they start looting, we start shooting was the thing that he said. And oh people thought that one was, was maybe enough. Like, are you inciting violence? Like, what are you saying exactly? Twitter, let that one stay, but these latest ones that have not, did not clearly uh, discourage what was going on, didn't clearly state, at least not at first. I mean, eventually it seems like he kind of got there. Twitter was like, you know what? We are at a point now where we feel like this, this could have a negative impact and, and actually affect people's activities and actions. And I guess they didn't want to partake. So they put him on the freeze button for real. And if those tweets are not deleted, then the account could be terminated. Here's the weird thing about it, though. I think it was this morning Trump wanted to state that there will be a peaceful transition of power that he'll hand over to presidency when the time comes. This is an important mm -hmm. message right there yeah. because it's going to, well, hopefully people would chill out 
because it's like, okay, he it's said, official. yeah, it's officially, he said peaceful. He wants it to be peaceful or whatever, but he couldn't actually tweet it. Yeah. So some other guy had to tweet it for him. So it's this really tough business to be in when a tweet from a prominent figure can have this one effect and impact, but it can also be useful and helpful on this other end of the spectrum when you want to get the alternative message out quickly to those people who may have do you see where I'm going here? Yeah, I guess uh, the vice president uh, would handle that, right? It wasn't even the was vice president who sent that extra tweet. It was some other close I see. Uh, position close to the president that ended up tweeting it out. But uh, either way, it's a tough position to be in for these social media companies. They feel some degree of responsibility. Trump hasn't been the hugest fan of theirs. He's come out and kind of lumped them in with the uh, uh, fake news media type of title. He's now saying big tech a lot more, a few clips that I've seen. So, I mean, he's got not that many days left as president. What is like 13 days at this point, 14, 13, I don't know, not that long left. And then after that, his accounts get treated like regular citizens. And these tech companies, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, when if he doesn't have the special privilege of the position associated with it and because they've banned people in the past yeah they have that ability to do that these are private companies mm-hmm. and there's there's not a tremendous amount of regulation around it yet although there's been talk about it how this stuff should be treated and if it should be regulated considering the fact that these are well there's they're they're rapidly becoming our main channel for communication even more so than than the physical real world or or even traditional media Mm -hmm. these this social media stuff has become the way in which humans communicate so it's all very very slippery very complicated but for the time being twitter twitter has locked trump's account facebook has essentially banned him for the time i mean trump can use tiktok right yeah he's no he can't use tiktok no no why not don't you remember? He's anti TikTok. He was he was he was going down with. The, <laughs> I, I get it, but like, no, of course, people were trolling him that hey, TikTok is still open. You can of course he that. could. Of course he could use TikTok, but he was doubling down. He was uh, talking about Triller at one point. Yeah, yeah. So he could use Triller. I guess I guess he could get on YouTube too. I think he probably does to a certain extent. Have but his own channel. He could, right? Yeah. Just I don't vlog know. It? I don't know his what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, speaking of all that has happened, here's a weird crossover. Many people are trying to encourage one another to run for president. <laughs> Prominent people, you know, you heard when the buildup was happening. Oh, you know what? The Rock should just be president yeah. or Oprah. I think it was Oprah, before that. Kanye. Kanye was in there, put his name in a hat himself. One person that many have attempted to coerce into a run for presidency is Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban has now said that he is willing to run for U.S. president if Bitcoin hits one million. (laughs) So he's been critical of Bitcoin along the way. And so this is kind of a little uh, a little joke type of thing right here that he's like, well, if I get proved that wrong on Bitcoin, then you win the Uh bet and uh, and I'll run for president. Now, he was having a conversation with this other uh, this other investor venture capitalist, Chamath Palapatiya. Palapatiya. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I clicked on his name because I didn't know who he was. 
he's uh, uh, originally born in Sri Lanka, then spent time in Canada, went to Waterloo for university, oh. and is now a big-time venture capitalist out in California. He works on Virgin Galactic. He's a um, minority stakeholder in the uh, Golden State Warriors. Anyway, I just got curious about it. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, who's who's mixing it up with Mark Cuban over here? And he's a big Bitcoin guy. Mm-hmm. In fact, his pinned tweet says, "When BTC gets to 150,000, I will buy the Hamptons and convert it to a, to sleepaway camps for kids, working farms, and low cost housing." So in order to buy the Hamptons, Will, I believe you would need quite a few dollars. And in order to get those dollars, you'd have to convert quite a few Bitcoins. Mm-hmm. So if Bitcoin going to 150K means that kind of cash for him, the uh, insinuation there is that he's got a tre- he's sitting on a tremendous amount of Bitcoin. Yep. And so they have a little back and forth. Him and Cuban, they've probably disagreed on Bitcoin possibly in the past. And so now we have a bet in place that if Bitcoin can get to that level, Mark Cuban will be willing to run for president. Now, another thing, and it's actually, it's my last thing on the capital situation, whatever's going on in the capital over there. Uh, It was this, I started to see some tweets emerge from people showcasing the uh, reaction, the international reaction to what was going on in the U.S., and I think it's kind of, uh, it's possibly underrepresented for those that exist mostly in a domestic media mindset. That you're only watching the domestic news or following domestic Twitter accounts or if you're just, whatever. It, it, we can arrange our social media in such a fashion that it, it can be actually. It's tailored to you. It's kind of siloed off. Yeah. But of course for me, uh, on this show, I've kind of, worked a little bit to bring the international side into it it's i sit there and i look at the analytics for the show and i realize people watch from all over the place and so i try to balance our coverage including some sources or some material that may may be considered international news but it's regardless of your political stance who you voted for how you feel about this capital situation how you feel about the coverage you've been seeing. The fact of the matter is, the um, other nations are going to repackage this as they would have to in order to distribute what's going on in the US to their citizens. Yeah. Whether it's France or I saw a report from Turkey and here we have uh, this particular article from China. It's just not a good look, Will. Uh, Many have considered the United States to be a beacon for democracy, uh, peace, things like this. And so now this type of coverage, these images can be used as leverage against those particular ideals. And that's where China comes in over here. And, uh, And of course, this is on the back of similar images emerging from Hong Kong, which we talked about way back when, whenever that was going on. And so we have, well, for, for example, and, I, and these things are not exactly the same, but they can be reconfigured as similar because the imagery is so close. Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House, she once referred to 
the Hong Kong riots as a beautiful sight to behold. And for people who weren't of that particular political criteria in China, in Hong Kong, that would be obviously considered to be offensive. Yes. Now, I'm not making a case for either side. I'm just showcasing how this can create uh, divisiveness, just not domestically, but also internationally. Yes. And an opportunity. That's what I'm trying to say here, which is it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to put into, into words. The Chinese Communist Party's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection ran a commentary by political columnist Lan Linzong saying that the U.S., the U.S.'s image as a beacon of democracy and freedom has been shattered. You see what I'm saying? That's the type of words that, these, that's, that are going to be attached to these images. Well, I'm hooked. This beautiful site is just enticing. one of many outbreaks resulting from deep-rooted internal conflicts in America. You see, they take a shot at the whole of America based on a handful of images. And this is the thing that we always come back to is, and, and always think about, or at least I do, it always strikes me how a handful of people can hijack the entire conversation. Well, that's what the media is for, right? Not in a like uh, negative or positive way. It's just like an outlet of information that's very streamlined and funneled. It's just, I guess, that's how it works. That you can take... I think there, for example, in this particular circumstance, there were probably, I don't know, 100,000 people there. I don't know what the number is. Right, yeah. And then you had, I don't know, a few hundred who took it to another level. And the same can be said, actually, if, if, if you go back to when there was unrest for other reasons. Mm -hmm. It's a small percentage of people that take things to the extreme level, but they become the icon of a much broader group, even though that broader group doesn't necessarily share those ideals exactly. Correct. And by icon, I mean from a distance to a bystander, to an observer, you kind of, you can't help yourself. You look at the biggest threat. Mm -hmm. You look at the, you walk into a room and you see the craziest person because that's the most dangerous person. Or and who's shouting the loudest. Whoever's shouting, you, 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 then have to, you then filter your impression of the entire landscape based on that. And it's a human thing. We're humans. It's all, I mean, it's fairly well understood from a uh, human psychology perspective. But you see it happening. It's just so easy. It's so hard to build things. It's so easy to break them. Mm -hmm. Uh this is another piece of this is a piece of international news as i just mentioned uh can't help but be interested this is another thing actually that people have sent me as well there's a huge protest going on farmer protest in india over a new shift a new change in uh policy around how farmed goods food things like this are bought and sold it's currently regulated, so there's like a minimum. If you do the work and grow the food, the government will ensure that it enforce that it can't be sold below a certain amount. So you're gonna get 
something out of it. Recently, there's been a push to open things up, deregulate it, hmm. and make it so that it operates more like a free market, lowest price wins, etc. Now, there's a pushback there from farmers, at least that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing thousands of people that are protesting, and it has now weirdly obviously these people are they're actually unhappy for a couple of reasons they're unhappy possibly because they disagree with the proposal but they're also unhappy with how it got pushed through government they feel like it didn't follow the correct channels or or that it um that it was pushed through expedited in a certain way by the power of the individuals at the top that's like that's the that's one of the speculations that that's part of the uh, unrest. Mm -hmm. But what's happened, it took a turn here where not only has, is, is there a protest going on, but they've decided also to attack a company that we talk about frequently on the show, which is Reliance Industries and their geo network, cell network, who at one point were practically giving away uh, data. We're practically giving away connections to eventually raise the price at a later date, get people on board, get people hooked. And so some of these protesters have begun to attack cell towers operated by Reliance Industries. 2,000 cell towers have apparently been damaged amid backlash over the potential for agriculture deregulation. Now, you might be wondering, why are you going to destroy some cell towers? And this is one of those things where it's feels hard to get the real information out. Is it really just for the purpose of causing a ruckus? Or are there people here who see a connection between this deregulation and the relationship that Ambani might have with policymakers inside of India? Does he potentially stand to gain from this deregulation? He has the food shops over there already. Can he come in low ball? Can he come in and find efficiencies and and um, dominate that marketplace, which could end up affecting these. Now, I'm, now he's not saying that. Reliance is not saying that. Reliance isn't even saying necessarily that they support this hmm. because that might be a risky move at the moment. But people still seem to speculate that that might be possible. So this is my limited interpretation. I think it's a, a subject that, well, it's certainly a subject that many people have requested for me to take a look at and talk about. So I definitely wanted to do that. There's an important graph right there, by the way, as far as uh, the percentage of Indians that live in a rural area, rural lifestyle. Huh. It's a very high percentage of the entirety of India. In fact, 65.5% of the Indian population lives in a rural fashion which therefore showcases the importance of this particular unrest. It's a lot of people who rely on, on farming and, and rely on that way of life. China, for example, 36.7%, the US 17%, Japan, you can see only 8.3% of the population living in a rural fashion. So an interesting topic, you have this very old profession, the profession of growing food, weirdly interacting with this very new profession, the profession of telecommunications yeah. and multi-billionaire status and uh, a potential dispute 
Apple is launching a limited edition set of AirPods Pro to celebrate Chinese New Year. I don't know that they have ever done this before, Will. You tell me. Can you remember a time where they put out special edition, a special edition product with a graphic that isn't an Apple logo? The closest thing I can think of is a red product, but it's not limited. It's just... Oh, yeah. Special. Right. And it's not... Its own right. The red logo is really small, and it's usually just in the fine print. Yeah. Or, like, on the back. Well, this is a little... This is a step further than that. To celebrate Chinese New Year, Apple has introduced a limited edition. AirPods Pro will be available in mainland China, Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, and Malaysia. This coming New Year is the Year of the Ox. I don't know if you knew that, Willie Do. Hmm. I don't know if there's a... Co- there's no correlation between the the uh what is it called when you have the in the const the zodiac the zodiac signs? what's this wait wait what is the zodiac constellations it, is that the thing like you're born in a certain month and then there's some sort of yeah constellation associated with that yes are we crazy right here like obviously you can tell i do not fo- follow this stuff some people Astrolog- follow this stuff so much astrology. they're like well you know what? I can't show up to the party. I'm a Gemini. And you're like, wait, what? What does that have to do? <laughs> yeah, we don't click here. <laughs> like, wait, what? Uh... what does that have to do with it? Some people fall to that degree. Yeah. So for myself, I'm born in uh, May. I'm trying to remember there. Yeah. Beginning of May. So I'm Taurus. So I'm also, I'm the bull, not the ox. Okay. I thought okay. I might, I thought I might be the ox. What are you, Will? I'm Scorpio. You're Scorpio. Okay. No. So that's the scorpion. It's a scorpion, yeah. That's pretty cool. It is very cool. I really like it. That's kind of cool. <laughs> well, anyways, so uh, it's the year of the ox, and Apple created an adorable emoji to sit on the front of the AirPods Pro, right under the LED. Oh. It's a really, it's kind of a cute-looking uh-huh. ox, actually. Yeah, I don't know I'm... how. I don't know how they would decide what style of artwork. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that you want to do it, but it's a. I wonder how many revisions, how many different drawings they looked at. They're like, nope, that's the one. Yeah. Now, they also, by the way, they modified the Apple logo itself, which is uh-huh. another thing I feel like they do not do very often. Uh, during their events, they, they might do stuff. They play with it. But the line art is uh, very rare for them. Yeah, that's a very strange-looking Apple logo. They've made it, of course, look like an ox as well. So there's an, a dedicated ox icon emoji inscription but then on the sale page there's also this ox like uh, apple logo so they're going to sell for a regular price in those regions it's uh, it's no extra fees as well oh okay so it's the same price you celebrate the new year uh it's an interesting move and an unusual move from apple speaking of apple this one caught my attention i i'm I was actually surprised that i missed this because i talked so much about the apple car mm. upcoming apple car and Maybe I've talked about this, but it seems that it's heating up again, this particular discussion around who's going to make the Apple car. I talked about Foxconn at one point, but of course, Foxconn has gone and invested in an electric vehicle maker in China, but that electric vehicle maker is still really early as well, and it seems like a long-term investment. Are they really, would they be really ready to produce at the type of scale that Apple might be looking for? There's another option that many are discussing, and that option is actually a Canadian company, Will, by the name of Magna. And here's the craziest part. Magna is just around the corner. Like, Magna is nearby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that building. It's a multi... 
what is it, like a $20 billion revenue comp type company. It's headquartered right around the corner. It's very bizarre, like what that, 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 that crossover even exists. They're very unexpected considering our location. But anyway, they already manufacture some products for certain automakers. Well, parts. They're, they were originally right. a parts company, tremendous volume, into, well into the billions. But then some manufacturers ask them, can you just make us the whole car? So, for example, oh. have you ever seen a Mercedes G-Wagon? Yeah. The G-Wagon is made by Magna, not Mercedes. All the, like everything? Yes, in a plant oh. in Austria. That's where the G-Wagons come from. So the G-Wagon is a low-volume vehicle for Mercedes. And they're just like, you know what? We don't even want to retool the assembly line. We will contract that deal out to Magna. They're supplying us so many parts anyways. Hmm. Why don't they just put it together? And so that's the level Magna is on, that oh, they, no can, they can produce vehicles like this. There's others as well, by the way. They do uh, one of the Jaguar vehicles and a couple of other ones. So this, this oh, and uh, uh, um, the, another electric car company, Fisker, is oh, going yeah. to have a similar relationship to hand over the capital intensive work and the engineering and then they want to be the brand and the marketing and i know this sounds weird for automotive but if you think about it that's basically what apple does with their phones yeah. foxconn makes them right yeah. apple it, it's, it, it sounds crazy apple that, designs them that's right and then they do foxconn the actually manufacture they do the marketing they do the business but the the right. labor intensive stuff is taken up by Foxconn. So it's actually not such a crazy idea. In fact, the stock price of Magna has been up. Magna's been booming a little bit really? uh, on the potential for a relationship like this to take place. Maybe not booming. <laughs> oh, that's the one day. That's the one day. Give that's me a five day. day. Yeah, there you go. It went up. Yeah. So maybe do like a, I don't know, a six month on it. Yeah, you can see Oh, it. wow, yeah. Yeah, you can see it's been climbing as uh, as people as people become curious about their potential to fill that role whether it's for apple or other automakers like it could disrupt the whole auto industry the idea that you want to get a car made with your styling and your marketing and as these as cars become more like tech you have to wonder if the actual supply chain for how we get our cars and like where they if, if everything can adjust to meet that criteria. So you're telling me it's gonna be a ghost kitchen for car manufacturers. There you go, exactly, yeah. something like that. Perfect. Yeah, something like that. So they do. They currently make the Mercedes G Class, the electric Jaguar I Pace. So they're already doing an electric vehicle and the BMW Z4 sports car. That's what they're doing right now. And uh, they recently added a facility in China capable of producing 180,000 vehicles yearly, and a North American plant might be next. In 2019, Mag Magna assembled almost 160,000 vehicles. Right right up there? No, 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 they don't do the assembly. That's just head office. Oh, okay. That's just head office over there. That's a big building though, jeez. Yeah, that's just head office. Because the founder, Fra Frank Stronach, he's from around here. Well, oh, he's yeah. originally from Austria, but he's from around here. Oh. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, you sent me this one, and I was flabbergasted. This was about a potential deal between Duracell and Microsoft that was the reason that we kept seeing AA batteries inside of Xbox controllers, even into the next generation. 
which a lot of people notice and like, you can't keep doing this to us. Mm -hmm. And so many had assumed because the Duracell batteries were in the package and because Duracell had been using the Xbox controller in its advertising for a period of time, there was speculation that it was some sort of a deal that would stop Microsoft from shipping a controller that was rechargeable out the gate that they, they somehow this that this partnership existed Well, they have a partnership because obviously they're the Duracell batteries are in there when you buy it but that original article was quickly disputed with a Comment from Microsoft themselves. They didn't like that news story getting out there mm. that in some way They were holding people back because of a business some business deal with Duracell so here's the quote from Microsoft vet veteran Jason Ronald, partner director of program management for Xbox. What Here's a quote. What it comes down to is when actually talking to gamers. It's kind of polarizing and there is a strong camp that really want double A's. So just giving flexibility is a way to please both sets of people. You can use a rechargeable battery pack and it works just like it does on the Elite, but it's a separate thing. Uh, here's the rest of it. We intentionally offer consumers choice in their battery solutions for our standard Xbox wireless controllers. This includes the use of AA batteries from any brand, the Xbox rechargeable battery, charging solutions from our partners, or a USB Type-C cable, which you can plug into the console or the PC. I believe him. I was skeptical that it was a Duracell deal. It might be a small deal, but not enough to shift them to that degree. Mm -hmm. I have to say, though, the AA thing's a bit crazy. For me, if you have to ask which camp I'm in, it's a bit crazy. I know they'll sell you the play and charge kit with the rechargeable yeah. battery. I understand that, but I think it should come with it out the box. And you, sh if you want to keep the the option to throw AA's in there, then just keep the design, but yeah. have the play and charge kit installed out the box. I agree. There's a way to do this, right? And I'm glad they did the USB Type-C, but uh, we've been playing Forza at home and We've been just replacing AA batteries because we just oh. had the stock Xbox Series X that we've been playing on. Yeah, I should really, I should really probably bring the uh, Elite controller home because, as you mentioned, if you do buy the Xbox Elite controller, then it's rechargeable out the box. And by the way, Forza on the Xbox Series X looks great. I just felt the need uh, the to one. reiterate Forza that. Horizon. Horizon. Horizons? Yeah, looks great on the Xbox Series X. Kids are loving it. The kids love it. Trying to get them into a racing game. Yeah. And they've been unlocking all the vehicles. What's the best vehicle you have right now? <laughs> For Ferrari F40 or maybe the, maybe Bugatti Chiron. I don't know what they got going on. But okay. definitely if you pick up a next-gen Xbox, boot up Forza Horizon 4. It looks fantastic. Oh, I don't know if you saw this. I think actually um, this was sent to me by Fotis, I think. Was it? Did he send this to you as well? Anyway, this uh, just happened. This is streamed live five hours ago. Mercedes-Benz showed off their new hyper screen, which is going to go into their first all-electric vehicle, uh, the EQS sedan thing. Yeah. And they try to have an Apple-like intro to their event. The flyby. The drone, yeah. and it's kind of like a low-key version of it. Actually, I think actually I think they did well. It's 11 minutes. It doesn't feel long. And they did a good job of showcasing this new display. This new display is bananas. Okay. A screen like no other, as they state. I don't know if you want to fast forward a little bit. It's enormous. You got to go past this girl. 
Look at this thing. Oh, yeah. It's giant. It is. It spans the entire dash. It's actually three screens, but they've integrated them in such a nice way that it feels flush, like the whole thing. Uh, right. They've done a whole new user experience on there. Uh, uh, what the driver sees, what the passenger sees, what the center dash sees. They've really, uh, well, they've revamped it. They've made it feel so much more futuristic. And what I like about it is that they have this technology, Will, where the passenger can be watching a movie on their section of the display with Bluetooth headphones, but the driver, it's like one of those privacy filters, the driver mm. can't see it, so they won't be distracted. Oh, right. So it's like it's almost like one of those 3M films, but yeah. it's, it's turned on or off. Isn't that cool? That's cool. It's so I'm guessing it's like a sheet of glass. But there's three screens. Yeah, there's three screens underneath, but it's completely flush and it's cut around a cool dash-like yeah, shape. Cool design. And the the center screen looks enormous. Yeah, that's really cool. They all seem to fit together nicely too. It's this is tough business to design something like this. Now I'm guessing that the you you would then be able to to plug this into a variety of models. I would hope mm -hmm. that it won't just be the EQS. I don't know. Maybe they mentioned it in this presentation. But at first, you're going to be able to experience this interface and this display in that EQS. That's the model that they're talking about with the tremendous electric range. Okay. Of uh, I think it's they say they they restated at the end. I think it's 700 miles. Am I crazy? Is it 700 kilometers? Must be kilometers. Go to the end there. I want to get that right. Okay. He shows, he walks up, yeah, here it is. He goes, the premier in the new EQS, and he shows the silhouette of the EQS, which you've seen the images of, electric range of 700 KMs. Yes, of course. What am I, crazy? 700 kilometers. Still, still, nice. Uh-huh. Very nice. Uh, very curious. I'm interested in this vehicle. It's going to have a display like that and going to have a range like that. That's pretty amazing. So, anyway. Go check it out. They call it Hyperscreen. It's interesting to see how these different manufacturers approach what they consider to be futuristic. Mm -hmm. Here's a cool one. Uh, a little read here on the history of Xbox. The reason it made it into my feed is because there's a funny moment in here about a meeting between the early Xbox builders from Microsoft and Nintendo. And originally, oh, right. they actually pitched Nintendo. I don't know if you saw the headline. They did, yeah. They pitched Nintendo to that they would just make the hardware and Nintendo would do the software. Huh. They're like, listen, Sony and PlayStation, their stuff is ahead of you on the hardware side, but you guys are great with the games. They talked down on Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, they talked down on Nintendo. You know, they've never made a console. And apparently, it was an hour of Nintendo laughing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of a funny moment in there. But it is an interesting read anyway because you realize that it was a huge undertaking to try to enter the console gaming market when Microsoft did, dominated by the Japanese companies. You had obviously Sony, obviously Nintendo, but you also had Sega yeah, and a variety of other smaller ones. But Panasonic. It, Panasonic to a certain degree. Uh, well, who made Turbo Graphics? I don't know. Anyway, that's even earlier. 
But my uncle had one and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. NEC, another Japanese company. Oh yeah. So anyways, the point being is that it was it wasn't like they were in any kind of position to be calling their shots considering the fact that they had no history. Now they did have the history on a computer side from an operating system perspective. So they had something going for them. And anyway, it covers some interesting elements of how they got where they were going. Big part of it was actually their relationship with Bungie. They had oh, yeah. to figure out a game and Bungie needed money. Yep. And that's what that's how Halo came out and I just don't know what would have happened to Xbox without Halo. Yeah. I think uh Gears of War was well, also a main hit. Way later. That was way was later. later. Yeah, that's not original Xbox. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the That was 360. 360. Yeah. Yeah. Original heard. Xbox didn't have much going for it, but Halo, when I had people over, they played Halo, they were like, I'm going to get an Xbox. Uh -huh. That was a real thing that happened. Now the other thing to mention, the controller was enormous at first. I don't know if you've ever gripped onto an original Xbox controller from generation one console, but it flopped in certain regions. It flopped pretty much everywhere, but it flopped 100% in Japan because they were like, this thing is huge. We, uh, too big for our hands over here. So much so that they quickly had to revamp it and do a Japanese version of the controller. And if you go back to the Bloomberg article, you can see a picture of Bill Gates holding the Japanese-style controller. You have to scroll down. I'm sure you might have to scroll for a bit. Just stop when you get to it. He's holding the Japan, the new Japanese controller, next to a hamburger, so that they know. Okay, cool. There's finally Size a Size comparison. Yeah, there's finally a controller that is suitable here. It's a re it's a a actually it's article. actually quite a long read. It's interesting if you're if you like gaming or you're curious about the history. It's gonna be the next one. I promise. <laughs> there it is. So that's the new right. controller, which I remember when that came out. I also bought one, and I I also preferred it. But he's trying to show you next to the hamburger. Look, it's not as big anymore. It's cool. You're gonna like it. And that was uh, that place. That was actually a placemat at the mm. Tokyo Game Show. Mm. And so, wow. What a time. What an era. And actually, since then, Xbox has really struggled in the Japanese market. However, my understanding is that the Series X has done better than expected over there. So oh, yeah? it, took, it takes a long time mm. to build a user base over here. Now, speaking of Nintendo, we have a report here that there is a new revision coming out. We already kind of talked about this, that they wanted to uh, come out with something a little more powerful possibly embracing some new technologies. Uh, I don't know if people consider to be the switch consider the switch to be next generation currently, probably not uh, because it's not 4K, right? But apparently the next model will feature an OLED screen, a new dock, 4K support and more. So coming after the other big players in the space, obviously there's going to have to be some increased performance inside of there to support these higher resolutions at the frame rates you would want them to be at. But we are going to get a new Nintendo product. I think that's, a, that's always exciting. Hmm. Their take is always a unique one, whatever they come out with. Yeah. I mean, it's still going to be a Switch, but I'm, I'm curious to see how they treat the dock and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Amazon is now selling at-home COVID-19 testing kits. Uh, I'm actually surprised it took this long. This huh. seems like a no-brainer. Everybody's on Amazon shopping. 
next day delivery type of stuff. And I understand a person administering their own test that you, you might get a little, you might be a little apprehensive about the idea. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to go to the testing facility and or aren't going to, they just might be less likely to test at all. So anything to make that easier, I suppose, can be useful. This is uh, this test is called the Dexterity COVID-19 Saliva At-Home Collection Kit. It detects the presence of the virus, but does not confirm immunity or detect antibodies. So it just tells you if you have it actively. It's a molecular-based PCR test. Received approval from the Food and Drug Administration last month. It differs from the quicker and less expensive antigen tests, which use the nasal swab and the throat swab. So it's not going to be instantaneous. The way this works, you're going to, it's a spit kit. It's uh, not cheap either. So it's going to cost you 110 bucks. But you're going to spit and then send it back. It's got the paid postage to go back. It's like a DNA test. Oh, yeah. And then in apparently 24 to 72 hours, you're going to have a response. Huh. So I don't know. It seems convenient. The, the, the apprehension, the criticism is that people could spoil their test by not being super clean about it or careful mm. that they could, uh, what do they call that in science? If you mess something, mess up a test, you spoil it? No. Sullied? No. Become sullied? <laughs> no, there's a, contaminate. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you contam how dare you? <laughs> Did you ever watch The Office? Were you an office guy? Oh yeah. Yeah, you watched some of that? Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, let me ask you, where... The U.S. version. Yeah, where did you watch? Where? On Netflix. On Netflix, yeah. yeah. So you're like a lot of people. You binged it on Netflix at some point. Uh, I think I watched it probably prior to Netflix. I don't know where it was airing prior to that. But anyway, network, network show, high-profile show, popular show. The new streaming platform, Peacock, is utilizing The Office to drive subscriptions. It's their headline thing. Uh, so it's no longer on Netflix. Mm. And Peacock is, let me get this straight, NBC. And NBC yes. is, NBC did the, made The they, Office. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it's just coming home mm -hmm. now that they have their own streaming service. But what's crazy about it, if you look at their plans, if you scroll down, all of them are in reference. Oh, you got the wrong article there. Oh. Yeah, you're on, you're on the top Netflix shows over there. Oh. You're maybe one too far. Maybe I don't have it. Oh, you don't have it at all. This one I'm reading is on The Verge. Oh, is it this one? There you go. Oh, okay. You got it. So yeah, if you scroll down on this particular article, you'll see the three plans that they're offering up. And it's funny because normally it would be, I don't know, it would be around the features that you have within the app. But this is like how much of the office you get. You can see the base plan, which is free, is you get The Office season one and two, and then you get some other movies, TV, and shows, but it's, it's going to be uh, have ads in it, uh. the free model. If you want to unlock every episode of The Office, plus extended cuts and never-before-seen footage and deleted scenes, and you want to get the access to TV and whatever else, it's $4.99 a month. And then if you want all of The Office plus no ads, and then it's $10 a month. They're it, really ser servicing uh, The Office. A very old it's, it, show, it makes me feel like there's nothing else I want to watch yeah, on there. It just makes it weird. But I guess there's enough super fans of The Office that they figured, you know what, let's just get right to the point. 
because people want to know how much office they're going to get and we can use it to upgrade people's subscriptions. Mm. I think The Office is maybe one of those comfort shows. People like to rewatch it. Yes, absolutely. And, and so maybe they just straight up, they're like, look, we know everybody's seen it, but there's this is a super fan base that l likes to have access. And we think we're going to get five bucks a month out of them if that's mm -hmm. what they want. And 10 bucks a month if they don't want the ads. Mm -hmm. It is a bit confusing though. And, 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 and especially in the landscape of the, the variety of streaming services, not only do you need to know all the streaming services you're supposed to have, but then you got to remember all the various tiers. Man, there were simpler times where you could just be like, it's on Netflix, okay. Or torrent everything. <laughs> oh, right. Those times, very simple. Yeah. Uh, but now, I mean, it's Peacock and Hulu yeah. and Netflix, Disney Plus. We talked about Discovery Plus yesterday. Uh -huh. Unbelievable stuff here. Now, I think I lost the article that you went to next. Oh, yeah? You were looking at the uh, Netflix, the top five Netflix shows, right? Yeah. Top. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it's at on your screen. CNBC. That's what I was looking at. Netflix looking at says these are its five. I must open the same link twice. It's my fault, Will. I don't want you to feel like you're responsible at all. How dare you? Netflix says these are its five most watched original series. Now, this one is weird to me because we were talking the other day about Mandalorian and how it's a real flagship series for Disney+. Plus. It's uh, generated subscribers and big budget and all the rest. And we were curious. We're like, well, Netflix has been around for a while. What is their flagship stuff? And so I, I thought of Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. I also thought about some of the money they paid for a lot of those comedy specials. Uh, I wasn't the the... Escobar show. What was that called? Narcos. God. What? Narcos. Narcos. Was that another one? Yes. Ozark is very good. Okay, Ozark. Anyway, they've done them. Yes. They've done them. But I saw this list, and this list kind of surprised me. It's a lot of shows I never watched or heard of for their top five most watched shows. And, well, some okay. of them are recent, which kind of explains, you know, maybe I'm not necessarily watching them. So some of them are recent, but... Number Coming in at number five with 63 million viewers. By the way, in order to be a viewer of a show on Netflix, all you have to do is watch two minutes. Really? Just so you know. That's the threshold. Wow. Two okay. minutes, which for a series, it's kind of crazy to say you watch the series if you only watch two minutes. But that's the metric that they're using. They, uh, they got this deal uh, with the former, um, the former producer, maker of... Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. What is her name? Rhymes? Shonda? Shonda Rhymes? Anyway, they, they produced this show, Bridgerton, and 63 million people watched it. It came out recently. and Never heard of it. Yeah, see, you've never heard of it. I've never... I mean, I don't think it's targeted at us, by the way. Huh. If you scroll down a little bit... Oh, we don't see the image for some reason, but if you did see the image, you would know it is not targeted at you. Okay. And there you go. Or maybe you feel that that's targeted at you. <laughs> right up my alley. Brought from Shondaland, who brought you Grey's Anatomy. So her production company is called Shondaland. She signed a $150 million deal with Netflix to make some content. Okay. And this is one of them. That's coming in number five. Let's see number four. Tiger King. This one I heard of, but I never watched. Did you watch that? No. I, I'm with you. I've heard many things about it, good and bad. So when I saw this 
have a big number for viewership coming in at number four, I, I believed it because I heard the chatter on mm -hmm. social media right yeah. around the time when uh, lockdown yeah. lifestyle was taking off. It was a lot of Tiger King talk. So I, I, I understand that one. Go to number three. Number three, Stranger Things. That's the other one that I had heard about, seen some of the promotions. Season three was the topper of the bunch, 64 million. You can see some of these are pretty close. Scroll down to number two. This one, Money Heist, which is a translation. This was a Spanish show that for sure you've never heard of, but huge in the Spanish-speaking world. Is it? Yeah, I've seen uh, um, the hero image on Netflix, mm. but I haven't watched it. No. Yeah, I guess it would be subtitles if you watched it. Yeah. Yeah, and then coming in at number one, The Witcher, 76 million. Uh-huh. Did you know this? Did you watch this? Uh... I believe this was a really popular show. I have not watched it yeah. yet. You see how that's going, though? Yeah. It's a lot of we did not watch it, and we're Netflix subscribers, so it's kind of it's a bit interesting. Yeah, but we don't watch anything, really. Yeah, yeah, I don't watch enough stuff to even say maybe this stuff is amazing, but if you, ever, if you were curious of, like, what are the statistics of a popular show on Netflix, this should give you an idea. It's yeah. between 60 and 80 million. Between 60 and 80 million viewers is a hit considered a hit original for Netflix. Yeah. I'd be curious what The Mandalorian pulled off because I feel like that's a different level. Yeah. That's, that's why I feel like it's a big threat to Netflix's model. The Disney's a powerhouse in that game, man. Uh-huh. Uh, next one here. Remember we were talking about those tiny little apartments in Hong Kong? For some reason, I feel like I like this better. Okay. This is called Nestron, and it is a tiny little AI-driven cube and it looks sort of like an RV. It's a futuristic mini home. This is one way to do it if you got to live small. Okay. It's, uh, it's very smart. It's got all kinds of smart appliances and smart features. It, uh, it, it, you can pre-order it right now for $52,000. I think that's less than the houses you're yeah, trying to I'm buy. Yeah, I'm looking for a house already. <laughs> Might as well get two. And then just get a plot of land. Them. Now, that's only 263 square feet, but somehow it feels nicer than those, that other tiny apartment we were looking at. If you scroll down to the images, I don't know why it feels nicer. Probably the glass on there, the futuristic aspect of it. The entire structure is 8 meters long and uh, 3.6 meters wide, but, you know, it's kind of like an RV, yeah. but I don't believe it rolls around or anything. I don't think you could pack a whole family in there. They say you can. But to me, this looks more like a single or couple thing to take advantage of the tiny home movement. You can actually order one of these things from Singapore. They'll ship it to you. That will cost you a few more dollars, obviously. $52,000 to start. If you want to ship it to the U.S., that'll be 8000 bucks. But again, still, well, I think it's cheaper than the houses you're looking at. Google Assistant has a mode that I'm sure you've never heard of. It's called Do Nothing Mode. Isn't, Never this heard the, of it. isn't this the feature you've always wanted from your assistant? Do uh, nothing? It's that's... part of a promotion. It caught my attention because I was like, what are you talking about? It's part of a promotion for a chocolate bar in India. And there's an ad campaign where I guess when you're going to eat this chocolate bar, you want to do nothing. You want just, you're trying to just relax, I guess. Hmm. It's kind of like your time. It's like Willy Do time. It's like, you know what, do not, and the assistant will encourage you to do nothing. This is all, it could be considered terrifying as well. I don't know if you want to play a little bit of the, of the advertisement. I think it's embedded at the bottom there. 
Yeah, check this out. The chocolate bar is called Five Star. It looks delicious. It's not available here. Apparently, the do-nothing mode is only available in areas that sell the five-star chocolate bar. So don't expect to find this mode for assistant if you're not in one of these regions, if you're not in India or wherever the five-star is sold. So you'll see here in a second. Guy's about to get a chocolate. There's about to be a guy with a chocolate bar, and his assistant is telling him to do nothing. Here we go. Prepare yourself. So it has like snarky. Get motivated. It has smarky, uh, snarky comebacks and things. Oh, okay. It's a promotion inside. It has. It's a promotion inside of Google Assistant. So he says, "Call this person," and they're like, "Nah, how about how about I don't?" They're like, "How about you relax?" Or they say, "How about you play hard to get?" This guy I have no idea what he says, but the assistant says, "I have no internet connection." It's a fun, it's a gimmick, but it's interesting to me from a marketing perspective, the idea of humor and, and advertising inside of your assistant. It could be mm -hmm. equally terrifying, depending on the way you think of this. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you have to opt into this. It's a neat little party trick and uh, an interesting collaboration between a chocolate bar company, I think Cadbury makes it, so and Google. How do you uh, turn it off? No, no, no. You never get your assistant back. You just eat chocolate just, bars all day. Your phone is bricked. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seem like a good deal to you? <laughs> no. Of course. You trigger it by saying eat a five star. You does say. It, does it last like five minutes or something? Is there a time frame? Like when it ends? That's it. I mean, I, it's not covered in this particular article. I, okay. I sense you're very concerned. It's not covered in this yeah. particular article. But uh, I presume there's a way to turn it off. Yeah, okay. I hope there's a way to turn it off. All right, one more story here, which was sent to me by <laughs> our pal Fotis as well. Yeah, and I saw I, this article. And it's just like, I couldn't why? leave it because it was just too crazy. I couldn't leave it. Mm. This is a giant 14-foot statue of David Hasselhoff. It is terrifying. And he's smiling. It is just a terrifying statue. It was part of a SpongeBob movie, and... For some reason, uh, right now, Hasselhoff is selling off, all auctioning off all kinds of memorabilia. Oh. Signed stuff, uh, replica of the kit car from Knight Rider. Hmm. That's cooler to me than the statue, but I don't know. Maybe you like the statue if you're into some absurd stuff. <laughs> the statue, the starting price on the auction is going to be $100,000. I would go for the Knight Rider car. I'm just saying. Uh -huh. this, this is, you can either get the Knight Rider car or you can get Nightmares for the rest of your life. It's up yeah. to you with the 100,000 I mean, foot is pretty cool. statue. The car is cool. I mean, come on, man. Look at that young Hasselhoff. But uh, yeah, he's got a, there's a variety of uh, things that are being auctioned off. Let me give you uh, some of the other ones if you're interested. It's called the Hoff Auction. It begins January 23rd. Uh, autographed articles of clothing, signed scripts, a Baywatch pinball machine, a selection of cars such as a 1961 SL190 Mercedes and the replica oh. kit car from the 80s TV show Knight Rider. Let's see if that has a starting price on it. If I click on it here. Ooh! The replica kit car starting price 975000 with 10 bids. Oh, no, not starting price. It already has 10 bids. So that so baby's going up. That baby's going into the millions. 
All right, I take it back. We got to go for the statue. Let's see what the statue's sitting at. It's staying at a hundred. It's sitting at a hundred thousand. Still, no bids. No one is prepared to live life with that fourteen-foot statue. Well, somebody is. Somebody's gonna go for it. It's the beauty of the world and the beauty of the internet. It's 2021, ladies and gentlemen.